Apologies to everyone. <laughs> Good evening, man of God. Good evening, sir. How are you doing today? Fine, thank you very much. All right, thank you for making our time again to be with us. Today, everyone has been, have been getting a lot of questions. <laughs> Even before, somebody sent me a message today. This is what we should be talking about right now. I'm just <laughs> laughing, you know, because, you know, the way the topics are going to come to everyone is always different. And mm -hmm. I particularly like the fact that I'm a, I'm a fan of English language. <laughs> so when I see you overcoming, I, mm. I see that something that is present continuous that we have mm. to keep overcoming till we see Jesus in glory, you know. So we are really, really looking forward to what God has in store for us tonight. And we trust that's going to be a glorious time. Okay? Amen. So without much ado, we allow you to, to proceed, pray with us. And then people are going to be asking their questions the same way okay. we did the other time. And we have yeah. to interrupt you once in a while to take questions from people. Is that okay, sir? No problem. I, I will try to be... I, sometimes I'm tempted to speak very fast. So I'll try okay. to to slow down my pace okay. um, and explain gently so that everybody can, you know, understand and then we can work together. Okay, so, so let's pray so that we can get into it quickly. Father, we say thank you. Thank you for this season. Thank you for your love. Thank you for all that you have in store for us even for tonight. We ask, oh God, for simplicity. Let your word be simple. Let my words align with your heart for tonight. Let us come into great understanding and help us challenge us in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We are prayed. Amen. Um, so we're talking about overcoming temptation and um, the key scripture that I'll be using, apart from James chapter 1 that I might be referring to for most of my teaching tonight, will be the story of Jesus Christ as his temptation. You can find that in Luke chapter 4. You can also find it in Matthew chapter 4. I will be dividing my teaching into three. I'll be explaining the foundation of temptation, where I'll be talking about the meaning of temptation and some basic understanding that we need to have about temptation. Then I will also talk briefly about why people fall into temptations, what makes us fail and fall. And then finally, I'll talk about how we can overcome it. So from the first thing, what is temptation? Temptation is just enticement. It is seduction. Because what, once you are tempted, what is happening is that I'm trying to make you do something that you would not naturally have done. So it is seduction and enticement into self-gratification. At the end of the day, what temptation does is that it brings us to the point whereby we disobey God or disobey an instruction. Sometimes it might not be God, but once there is temptation, at the end of the day, where he's taking you to is to the point whereby you disobey an instruction. Now, if we are to make it spiritual, and of course we have been spiritual here, temptation does not come from God. I'm going to refer to some of these scriptures as I go on because the Bible says categorically that God does not tempt with evil and so God does not tempt anyone. 
So temptation does not go, come from God. God is not trying to prove a point with our life. So he doesn't have to tempt us with evil to see our reactions. Where people mistake temptation is with trials and with tests. So, and one of the things that make understanding temptation difficult, especially with tests and trials, is because they all come from the same Greek word, that is perasmod. All of them means trials, tests, and temptation. So we see that in the New Testament, all of these words are interchanged. So some places you will see trials, some places you will see tests, some places you will see temptations. Now, it's important that I also help to quickly differentiate between what trial and test is from temptation. Because when we talk about trials, we can sometimes see the handwriting of God written in trials, but we'll never see anything related to God in temptation. So I'll just mention briefly two or three differences between trials and temptation. Number one, when we are talking about trials, trials is without, is outside of us when we are talking about temptation temptation comes from within number two the workings of temptations always leads to sin because what temptation is is that temptation is the seed of every sin so you are first tempted and then you sin so the workings the final outcome of every temptation is that you end up sinning while for trials the workings of trials is to produce something sometimes to produce strength sometimes to produce patience james chapter 1 verse 2 he says count it all joy when you fall into various trials various temptations knowing that the testing of your faith will end up producing patience so when we're talking about temptation temptations what is going to work out of you is to lead you to sin but when we are talking about trials, we'll see that it's always an attack on the faith. And at the end of the day, whosoever overcomes his trials, faith is strengthened, patience is produced. Now, what is the foundation of every temptation? The foundation of every single temptation that we would ever face starts from our desire. Remember that I started by saying that God does not tempt so when temptation is coming you can know that every temptation is coming from your enemy is coming from the devil so god does not tempt but the foundation the platform of every temptation is every man's desire james chapter 1 verse 14 it says that everyone is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his desire now there are three categories of desire because it is not all desires that is evil. Even the Bible says that God said that I will grant the desires of your heart. So it's not like desires are bad. But the truth of the matter is that when the enemy recognizes desire, he begins to attack desire. He begins to lure us through our desires and ultimately lead us into sin. So three levels of desires. Number one, the first level of desire is desire of what we see. So what the devil does is that he would always, or, or rather, let me let me take that back. Let me start from the very easy one for us to understand. And let me use Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus Christ, or Luke chapter 4 to explain it. So let me use the temptation of Jesus Christ to explain this. The first desire are legitimate desires. Those are good desires. 
the devil is going to use legitimate desires to tempt us. What are legitimate desires? Legitimate desires are desires that if you are telling someone you need it, even the world knows that you need it. See, for example, the temptation of Jesus Christ. He was hungry. It was legitimate. This is not something that we need to argue with anybody. When you are hungry, what do you need? You need something legitimate. You need food. The Bible also says, give us our daily bread. So we see that what is legitimate, what is necessary for Jesus Christ at that moment, which is bread, was what the devil now comes to meet him and tells him, turn stone to bread. So we see that every time you are going out, there are so many things that take you out. For example, money. So you see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, he says those who desire to be rich. It, it's a legitimate desire to be able to meet your need. He said those who desire to be rich fall into diverse temptations. So we see that the first thing that the devil will look at to tempt you with is everything that is legitimate, including the good things. Because what he's trying to do is that he begins to present an option for you to cut process. So he comes to Jesus Christ and says to Jesus, turn stone to bread. A practical example of a legitimate need was also Esau. Esau had a legitimate need. He was hungry. But more than the hunger was his birthright. So it tempts him with what is legitimate, what is his daily need. And we see this cut across various aspects of people's life. People need to get married. It's a legitimate need. People need to grow in their place of work. People need to grow economically, financially. These are legitimate needs. So he looks at the fact that it is legitimate. I don't need to convince you to need it. You already need it. You need company. You need relationship. You need companionship. You need fellowship. So all those things that make up our life are so legitimate. You need to eat. You need to have friends. He begins to use those things as the first cause of enticement. And you will see that all through the life of Jesus Christ, it was why Jesus Christ was extremely detailed about relationship, because those things are legitimate. So the first desire that the devil would try to use to tempt us are the things that I want to call tonight legitimate desires. Mm. Number two, the second form was the one I was referring to at the beginning. It would tempt us with what we can see. Because the way I can create desire, apart from the legitimate desires, are the things that we see. Now, when I talk about sight, I'm not just talking about physical sight. I'm also talking about mental sight, the mind. And this is how every temptation comes. Apart from the fact that you see it physically, the mind also can be very, very powerful. And that is why, as believers, you must guard yourself um, guard your heart. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. Mm-hmm. You must guard your heart from every information. Because mm-hmm. if I want to sell something to you, all I need to do is to present it to you and tell you how good it is for you. And do you know that while I begin to paint the picture of how good it is for you, you would not have touched it, you would not have tasted it, but you would love it. So if Bible says about the next level of the temptation of Jesus, the Bible says he showed him all the glories of the world and then tells him, bow down before me and I will give it to you. And that's the same approach the devil does. He tries to bring to us something that we can see. See, for example, the story of Eve. The Bible said that she saw the fruit and it became pleasing 
to her eyes. The Bible says she just won't, you know, how can you look at, let's look at it basically, how can you look at something, a fruit, and then begin to know that it is good for food? How can you tell that the fruit is even nice? <laughs> for example, I've gone to, I've gone to a restaurant, I, I was, I was an, an I, I took a friend to an Indian restaurant one time. I, I've heard so much about the Indian restaurant, so I decided to try it. And as other Indians were, you know, asking for their own food, I was just staring at the food and I was already imagining how nice it was going to be. As a matter of fact, I changed my order based on another person's order. As soon as I had lambs and the person mentioned one very funny name, I said, okay, give me that. And the, the waiter too told me that this is their best meal. I was going to enjoy it. <laughs> Sir, that was the worst decision I've ever made in my life because I could not eat anything. But it became appealing based on information and sight. Mm. So sometimes, many of the things that we think will be pleasurable to us, at the end of the day, we'll realize that it will not actually be pleasurable. It's just because somebody sat down beside us and told us of how beautiful, how great they have enjoyed theirs. And the truth of the matter is that some of them, they did not enjoy it. Some of them are frustrated in what they are doing. But they come and tell you, they build an imagination. And because we are imaginative beings, our mind begins to process this information and begin to build up desire based on this. Alright, to what end? I didn't enjoy it there. And I'm recommending <laughs> it to somebody else. To what end? To what end? It's what temptation. <laughs> It's temptation because the waiter's own, the waiter's idea is that he wins, he gets his money, so he sells an idea to me, and then I build it in my mind that this is the best thing that can happen to me. And at the end of the day, you know, the problem that we have is that people never want to do things alone. So sometimes the temptation that we'll face is just because people are looking for company in their failure. So they will entice you to do something that they are already doing, even though they still sit back at the end and say to themselves, why am I even doing this in the first place? So they try to, and that's the same thing the devil does. He tries to create an imagination in your heart that you begin to desire something that at the end of the day is actually not going to be pleasurable. So he created that. You see what he said to Eve. He said, you will become wise like God. So all those things started to run in the mind of Eve that, wow, so there is something that God has been denying me of that I can actually have that will make me exactly like God. So that offer is what the devil will always present. Something that can corrupt our mind to desire what we shouldn't be desiring. So the first thing that I've mentioned is that temptations will come from legitimate desires. The second thing is that it will come from things that our eyes see. And that's why we must be careful of information, what people tell us and what people show us. Because it is really not all that glitters that is gold. So you must be careful, otherwise you will be tempted by what you see. Desires, you'll be surprised at how people, you know, a practical example is when you, you probably visit somebody who is rich and then maybe your mates and then I, I've had an extended experience before. I, I once met um, one of my colleagues, my old colleagues, and he, he just stopped. And if you see the car, I, I drive a pretty okay car. But my friend's car was this nice Benz. I sat down there and I was, and I was just smiling. You know, <laughs> my imagination was like, okay, what are you doing that I'm not doing right? You are not even serious in school. You know, so 
<laughs> so all those things began to walk upon my heart that do I need to do something else? Do I need to befriend someone else? And you know, those things started to affect my mind until God had to help me out of it. So sometimes what you see can be what the devil would use to tempt you. Now, the third one is also very similar to what I just explained, is what you want others to see. Perception, that's that's one of the very, that is, is a very deep thing. And the devil understands how we are. And he knows that we like to form an image. So the Bible says that the devil took Jesus Christ to the top of the temple where everybody will see him. And then he tells him, jump, show off, show everybody something that you are not. Show everybody something that you don't even need to show them. And because of this aspect of our life, we realize that people begin to show something. You know, people are driven to begin to show who they are not. And temptations begin to come from this. That was what happened to Peter. Peter was in a place whereby the Bible said that all the disciples have separated from Jesus Christ. But because of his love for Jesus Christ, he still followed Jesus Christ from afar. But he found himself in a company and at that moment, he had to show that he was a different person. Temptation came in because he, he, he just couldn't, you know, associate with Christ. Because if he did that, they were going to reject him, they were going to abuse him, they were going to call him names. And just because of his reputation. That's why I define temptation as seduction for self-gratification. We always realize that it is temptation is going to drive you to a point whereby you are trying to protect who you are, what you are, sometimes even what you are not. So we see that all those three things are the things that presented itself in the life of Jesus in that temptation. But you see, the story of Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, might have showed us three temptations that happened in the life of Jesus. But all through the three and a half years of the ministry of Jesus Christ, all these three things kept on repeating itself. If you remember, when Jesus Christ was upon the cross, what was the temptation that came to him? Come down from the cross, show these people. And do you know it actually makes sense? So many people say it, that if Jesus Christ actually came down from the cross, will people believe that is the Son of God? Yes, maybe some people would have believed. Maybe some people would not have believed. But do you know it was a temptation to show himself in a way that God did not say that it was necessary for him to show himself? So we see that the devil is very, very wise. He's going to use your legitimate needs to tempt you to cut corners. He's going to use what you see and what you perceive is going to be pleasurable to also manipulate your mind and tempt you and is going to use what you want to show others to also tempt you now as i go on because so that i can open the floor for questions temptation as its climate and, and i need to explain this because when you begin to check the scriptures one of the things that you will see as when temptation begins to come into the life of people or people begin to face diverse temptation for example jesus christ as i'm using tonight is that the bible says he was led into the wilderness and the next thing that we see is he was tempted of the devil temptation thrives in a climate of loneliness wilderness can be defined as a place whereby you know uncultivated land and absence of men and that is why you realize that when the bible spoke about the children of israel as they went into the wilderness that was when they faced even their real life temptations to the point whereby they wanted to go back to egypt they created another god they became different men it was as if are these not the people that god saved 
And one of the understanding that we must understand as believer is that temptation's climate is loneliness. You see, because this is the process flow of temptation, it is first from our lust, our desires, then it graduates to sin, and then it graduates to death. So temptation, to be tempted really is not a sin. But when temptation matures and those lost matures, it leads to sin. So one basic thing that we must understand about this is that nobody sins in the public. It's the same way nobody allows temptation to be obvious in the public. Only mad people do that. There is nobody who genuinely loves God who is committing a sin and is allowing the world to sin. So temptation and sin thrives in a place where nobody can see you. So one of the things that you must see, see for example the story of Eve that I just gave. Eve was alone. Peter was alone. The company of the disciples, they were not there at that time. And what did we see? We saw the tempter. The moment the tempter realizes that you are alone and you are trying to hide yourself, he will come. And that is why one of the things that God does is that God ensures that man is not alone. And that now I'm trying to begin to explain how we can overcome temptations. One of the things and ways you can overcome temptation is ensure that you are not alone. It's one of the things that God wanted to attack in the garden of eden when he saw adam and he said adam it is not good that you should be alone let's provide help meet for you the help meet was in the similitude of the holy spirit the same way jesus christ looked at the disciples and said that it is not good that i leave you alone it is not good that i leave you comfortless let me provide the helper for you so that every time you are not alone so even spiritually you shouldn't be alone Physically, do not allow everything that you do should just be eating to be alone. Be accountable. Be accountable to someone. So this is the process flow of how God puts us. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4 from verse 9 to 12. This is what the Bible says. It says, Woe is unto a man who is alone, for two are better than one. And then he extends it and says, a threefold cord is not easily broken. So this is what it means. As much as you have the Holy Spirit, there is an extension of something else that you must have. One of the avenues that God has provided to rescue every man from temptations, from trials, from tribulation, is the avenue of family. Family is a threefold cord. We have three things that are in the family, threefold cord. We have the father, the mother, and then the children. That's what the family is. And this is what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 68, verse 6. It says, the lonely does God set in families. So God is always intentional about the family that he places a man because the family is like the hope of rescue. Not just I'm not just looking at it from the perspective of the physical family now, even though God is intentional about that, but I'm also looking at it in terms of spiritual family. Is why I said that every man must have who is accountable to. When you have somebody that you are accountable to, before you fail, somebody will help you rise. That's why the Bible says that while you are falling, somebody has held your hand to pick you. The problem that we have as Christians is that many of us are running spiritual race alone. 
and that is why you would have fallen flat to the temptation you have gone down and then you're looking for somebody to help you but everybody that understands the the mystery and the help of the family knows that there is somebody that god has placed over him as a priest because this is how it works with the spiritual family there is god there is the priests and there is the bride so we see god the head we also have the priest the one that connects with god the one that perceived that he can raise an incense on our behalf so you know the priest can stand in the gap the priest can go and sacrifice and the one that is the bride more or less will not even need to fight and i always tell people that what the bible says fight from victory or believers you know we make that confession a lot that we're supposed to be fighting from victory and then we realize that we are still failing this is the mystery and let's look at it from the story of the battle of the children of israel against the amalekites i know i'm saying a lot but please (laughs) permit me tonight okay just just let just let me explain this the story when the children of israel faced the amalekites the bible showed us the picture of family there it showed us moses his hand is lifted it showed us aaron and all and then it shows us joshua fighting the battle now we're going to look at moses as god god is willing to support that's why the bible if you remember james chapter 1 verse 14 he said god is faithful he will not even allow you to be tempted beyond anything that is beyond you so god is there to help you the hand of god is lifted the next thing we see is that while the hand of god is lifted aaron and all realizes that god's hand or rather moses hand was falling so they had to hold his hand and sustain that hand that is the place of priesthood the assignment of priests is to sustain the hand of god and that is why if you notice in that scripture the next thing that they began to do was to set up a seat for moses to sit on they had to set up stones to sustain the move of god and the bible says that as long as the hand of god remained exalted joshua was fighting and was winning now what the priest does is that when you have somebody a spiritual father a spiritual leader who you are accountable to that spiritual leader will do something that i would call raising an incense on your behalf it's not like you cannot pray on your own but truthfully you need somebody to pray for you see what jesus christ said to peter the enemy seeks to sift you like wheat but i have prayed for you and i have prayed that your faith will not fail you when you are encouraged sustain your brethren the question i want to ask is that peter had worked with jesus couldn't he pray for himself he was one of the disciples that told jesus teach us to pray but we realized that when they got to the garden what was peter doing sleeping so he needed somebody who was going to who is matured enough to take responsibility for him this is not to create irresponsible believers but to make us understand that god has provided people in the order of priesthood who can assist to stand in the gap for you so when as a believer i become accountable and i begin to realize that there are issues in my life that man i'm not working well in this place i am enticed i'm having issues I run to my priest and then I report myself to him so that every time he sees me, he's raising an incense of prayer for me that can sustain me. If we build a life of accountability, I tell you, it will save us from a lot of issues in life. Number two, 
is that we must begin to grow. Let me just round up. We must begin to grow with our desire of feeding our soul with the word of God. As I said earlier, the battlefield is not what just what we see with our physical eyes. The battlefield is the mind. Many of us, we might claim that we have not done anything. Let, uh, you know, we might claim, oh, I'm, I'm clean and everything. But the places that our minds have gone, the place, the things that it has entered, the doors that it has opened and shut, we will be afraid of. If, if God should open some people's mind in the church, that let's watch minds, we will be afraid of what people are actually doing with their minds. So how then do you war with the mind? It's very simple. The Word of God. You see, the Word of God is not just a mystical book. It's not a textbook that you just read. You must be intentional at knowing that when I study this Word, my soul is being changed. The Bible says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can divide. So, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The renewing process takes place with the word of God. So, as you study, there is a fine-tuning taking place. As you look out for spiritual books that helps to shape your mind, your desires will change. Let, the truth of the matter is this. It's really warfare right now with the... Um, move of technology it's warfare to have a mind that is just pointing towards god there is so much distraction but as those distractions are coming you must fight it consistently that your mind must be fixed upon the word of god number three as i try to rush is you must also understand that there is a way of escape so every time temptation comes the word of god helps to provide that way of escape so it was very simple let's look at joseph joseph was in, was lonely talking about the climate of temptation he was lonely he was alone potiphar's wife caught up with him used the circumstances to entice him and what did he do he said how can i do such a thing and sin against god how did he know if not that the word of god has stayed upon his heart how did he know that he was sin against god how did he understand the gravity and what happened what was his way of escape his way of escape was just the door sometimes the way of escape is not going to be something highly spiritual sometimes the way of escape is stop watching movies <laughs> and some of us know some of these basic things but still you will hear some people tell you the kind of movies that they like to watch so when you focus on those kind of things your mind will be affected we cannot deceive ourselves but if you are patient enough to understand your enemy then you will know how he's going to target you he's going to use what you see and so if you are going to win by the battle of the mind as i was saying then your mind must totally be focused on god and finally as I round up so I can take a few questions, is that we must understand that God is faithful. That's what the Bible says. It says God is faithful. So everything that happens to us is not going to be that God was not faithful. It's going to be that we were not faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond anything. So whatsoever temptation you fall to, sir, and this is the painful aspect, you chose to fall. It wasn't because he didn't help you. It wasn't because he didn't provide the way of escape. He is ever faithful. You made a choice to fall. So, Samson, it wasn't that 
Delilah was the most beautiful woman in the world. Something chose it. Every scene, when you narrow it down, is a scene of choice. As a matter of fact, some of us see the way of escape, accountability, so many things. And yet, we just look at that door and say, well, you know, God will forgive me. Let me just, let me just enter. I've entered. Let me just close the door. But the truth of the matter is that God is ever faithful. And the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God is very key in our understanding. Because the truth of the matter is that your spiritual growth, as a matter of fact, your your faith, your desire to love God, sometimes can be predicated upon you overcoming temptations. There's a victory song that you sing every time you win. But the truth of the matter is that every time you fail, the guilt affects your relationship with God. And that's what the devil tries to make happen. So the secret to overcoming temptation is very simple. Number one, don't allow the climate. Run away from being alone, mentally, spiritually. You have the help of the Holy Spirit, but it is high time for us to begin to understand the secret of mentorship, the secret of discipleship. Because when you have somebody you are accountable to, they will save your life. I can say it a million times over and over again. Most people fail and fall because they have nobody. That's the major reason they are alone. Number two is feed your soul with the word of God consistently. Be intentional about it because there are too many junks. Number three, God is faithful and the faithfulness of God makes him and ensures that there is a way of escape. And as long as you focus on that door of escape, there's enough strength for us to overcome. And I believe that God will continue to strengthen us in Jesus' name. So let's, let's take a few questions and see people's thoughts. I I am I'm, I'm seriously trying to always slow down the way I speak, but I but I'm still working on it. I'm still working but, on it. Yeah, you mentioned something about the story of Moses, and that yes. is very significant. As you're speaking to us, just dropping about about the issue of priesthood and everything. Now yes. they had to hold up the hand of, of um, Moses. Yes. Why couldn't Aaron? He was a high priest too. The sister of Mary is a prophetess. Why couldn't they hold up the hand? Why couldn't they lift up their own hands? And then, what is the order? And what is the significance of the hands of Moses? Okay, on, what, what? Raise up their own hands too. And they'll be winning. What? They could not raise up their hands. When Moses was getting tired, what did they do? They had to hold up the hand of Moses. Exactly. So, what is significant? about the priesthood itself in terms of... Okay, let me me start by saying this, that number one, God has called every one of us as believers through Christ to be kings and to be priests. So we all as believers can step into priesthood. But we must not also use that as the authority. You know, it's one of the issues that we have because now everybody has the Holy Spirit. Nobody wants to be accountable. But the order of God, according to the Old Testament, was, you see, Moses himself, if you remember, I think, I don't know if someone can quickly find the scripture for me. One of the things that the Bible said when God was sending Moses to Pharaoh was that God called Moses a God. He said, Moses, I have made you a God unto Pharaoh and Aaron, thy priest. 
So the order for help was that in that scripture, Moses is a god. In the scripture, Aaron and all operated as priests, while Joshua operated as the bride, the believers who are facing the real battle. So when Moses' hand is lifted up, he's talking about many things that God begins to do, the moves of God, the realities of God. God, you know, sometimes the Bible says that God operates in the affairs of men, but God sits in heaven and the earth rather has he given to the children of men. So as much as God wants to, you know, operate upon the earth, the truth of the matter is that God is spirit. So God is, I don't like to use the word limited, but is limited because God is spirit. So every operation that God has to do, he has to take the form of a man. But because he is spirit, and what makes spirit operate in a territory are altars. So when we see an altar set up, we see that's like an invitation of a spirit. That is why shrines are not just places that people walk into. It might be a small house, but the moment that place is consecrated and made a shrine, those people in the occulting world can invoke a spirit into that place. So Moses in that place, lifting his hand was God's move in a territory. The wonders of God in a territory. Aaron and all lifting his hand is trying to align with God to ensure that what God has started continues. Because one of the things that we see happen in our world today is that there are many things that started that were not sustained. Mm. The only way that the things of God can be sustained was by Moses and Aaron and all holding the hand of Moses. But this is what you will realize. Aaron and all did not hold it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Because the truth of the matter is that those who are able to align with God initially, unfortunately, they cannot live forever. <laughs> so they die. So we see that some families, it was their mother that was the prayer fire. When mommy is alive, everybody knows that prayer is on ground. But mommy won't be there forever. So this is what they did. If you remember that story, the Bible said they set up a stone for him to sit. And then they set up stones to hold his hand. That is the mystery of altars. So what they did was to create altars such that in their absence, every generation that passes through that place can see that God was once here. Because the hand of God is still lifted. So you see that all through the book of, when the Bible began to talk about Abraham, Abraham was always going to places and setting up altars. So the Bible told us about Jacob years after he slept at Bethel, somewhere that Abraham had been, and then he saw a ladder reaching heaven. Because even in the absence of Abraham, if an altar has already been created, can I bust your bubble? One of the altars that God wanted to raise in many Christian homes was family altar. As simple as that our gathering was to pray together, was an altar God wanted to institute in many Christian homes. Unfortunately, the mystery and the mindset for family altars, when family gather together and raise an incense of prayer to God, has been lost. So we see that that altar, is what becomes a memorial so that in the absence of certain men the move of god is not forgotten if you i stay in the north if you go through the north one of the things that you constantly see everywhere with muslims today is altars as long as the man has a shop he has his 
must a small place of prayer because the altar is not just for job the altar is for sacrifice mm. what is sacrifice in scriptures sacrifice has to do with prayer the bible says our incense rising up to god all those things are prayers so that altar is the altar of prayer so if a believer learns prayer that's why the issue of priesthood and accountability to a priest is very key because you can be sure or most likely is raising an incense of prayer on your behalf in the days that you decide to sleep so we see that as long as the hand of God is sustained, the altar of God has been erected. What happens to Joshua? Joshua is just fighting and he's just winning. So winning and being victorious is not just a confession. The reality of it is that priest must arise. Mm. So when we have, that is why some people, if you listen to some of our parents, their, their own parents, one, they didn't know how to speak in tongues, but they could vouch that their parents could pray. So we see that unlearned parents could take could could take several of our parents to school, and this was due to our women probably selling on the streets. How else could they do it? They knew how to raise the altar of prayer, and that's the secret of priesthood. So what helps the hand of God to be sustained is by erecting altars. That altar is prayer. Thank you, sir. So please we need to pause. Let us take the question. Okay. Please, let's take the question. Let's take this first question. The first question is, in a situation where you are tempted to do something and you yes. run back to God, but you still yes. find yourself doing what you don't want to do, what should be done to correct that? You, 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 see, you see, see the person's question. The, the, the problem is that I'm sensing that the person wants God to do something. Yeah. <laughs> That's always the problem. We like God to do what we need to do for ourselves. Mm. You know, when we were talking about tongues, I said it's that this is how when we pray for people to receive tongues, especially adults, this is how people open their mouths. Speak now. Uh, people are not saying anything. It's children that are willing to take the leap of faith. Many of us, we want God to do for us what we need to do for ourselves. Mm. You see, when you are a genuine believer and you have the Holy Spirit, he will show you. God does not want you to fail. God does not want you to fall. There are different ways he would even have predicted to you what is about to happen. So you failed in making a decision concerning what was about to happen. You entered into the situation. Even in the situation, it would still provide a way of escape. That's just the loving nature of God. But still, we always want God to do for us what we can do for ourselves. For many of us, the solution, as I said, is there is a climate that makes and ensures that your temptation thrives. Mm. The moment you make, you rise up in strength to kill that climate, change begins. Sometimes it can be a person. Do you know sometimes it can be as much as... Interestingly, do you know my father had to resign from his place of work because of temptation? It, it wasn't easy because I'm, I'm the only son and we, we were quite a number in my family we are more than six we are seven actually i'm seven so he had to resign when they just gave back to me because of temptation of fraud he was in a situation whereby he had to sign so many great documents for people imagine many people who are saying ah but i don't want to i don't want god i, I don't I, I don't want to be in this situation but temptation keeps coming because of money blah 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 but somebody had to make a great decision that would affect a lot of things. 
But do you choose to walk with God or do you choose to sin? Because the truth of the matter is that every time you fail, it affects your relationship with God. The devil will capitalize on it. Not for God, but for you. You will see yourself as somebody who can never measure up. You will see yourself as someone who is far away from God. Because at the end of the day, temptation leads to sin. Sin leads to death. That's the place whereby we are trying to run away from. The death that is coming from our sin. Thank you. So, so, that, so that person, yeah. that yeah, person but... needs to get to the point whereby, stop waiting for God. You know what you need to do. As long as you are a believer, if you don't know it yet, begin to seek God's face of, God, what do I need to do? No matter how difficult it is, if it is making you do something that is a sin against God, kill the, the, the climate, shut it down immediately, no matter how difficult. You have answered the question of the job matter. Somebody was already yes. asking, in the case where the Bible says, flee from our parents, yes. the place where you are being tempted is your work. Can you decide to endure or try to fight or you should quit your job or no other job? There are battles you fight. There are battles you run from. I, I always say this and it's very important that I talk about it for many people. I, I was talking about the, the present state of the church of God that right now a lot of things have happened to us as a church that has put us in a place of fear, especially with the COVID-19 and so on. And I wrote in a post that the next move sometimes is not to fight. Sometimes the next move is to retreat. Retreat is not a defeat. Retreat is just a strategy to look at the enemy and then re-strategize. You see that your enemy has gained advantage. So when you watch all those um, millennial, um, those very old Roman movies, you see that when the enemy is beaten into them, the next thing that they do is that they begin to shout, retreat, retreat, because right now we cannot win this battle if we continue this way. We need to take a time to rest. We need to take time to understand the enemy and then we need to go back to fight. So sometimes retreating is not failing. Retreating is not saying I'm defeated. Retreating is we're taking a step back. Where did we miss it? What can we do differently to attack this? So sometimes it's not to resign. Sometimes you need to take a step back. Sometimes you need to be quiet. Understand, then now take action. Because if we just always say, resign, and then you realize that this is something you have just done three days fasting and prayer for, and God will remove somebody from the position and things change. So sometimes it's not just to make a move and you're trying to cut everything. Sometimes you need to take, take a step back. Understand the terrain, seeking the face of God, and then wisdom will come. Yes, yeah, because I know that the dealings of God with individuals in, yes. uh, may, will be very different. In terms, yes. some people may have to quit. Some people may exactly. have to, they may have, because if it's attempting to steal their soul from God, you yes. know, no job is bigger than your soul. So sometimes some people have to retreat, some people have to yes. think, but it, the step that they are going to take, the Holy Spirit is going to give to them on how to do. Sometimes they even yes. have to approach certain people and talk mm -hmm. to them and let them know yes. that they are children of God. They can't be a part of this. And that's what they need Very to true, do. sir. You know? Very so, true. everybody, not, there's no perfect decision to say, quit mm -hmm. your job. Please exactly. listen to the nudges and the um, instructions of the Holy Spirit on the steps to take. Okay? Mm -hmm. And God will help you in Jesus' name. Now, there's another yeah. question. There's okay. another question. And that question has to do with confidentiality and in terms of accountability. Okay. People have an issue of the fact that, oh, if mm. I talk to somebody, I'm supposed to be accountable to somebody. What if mm. I talk to somebody 
and them are hearing, they are using me as an example to preach <laughs> on the altar. They are using me as an illustration. How do I remain confident in being accountable to that kind of person? Actually, this 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 question is not actually a question to you know is 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 not a question to everybody. Is is a is a question that should be or is a situation that should be addressed by leaders because is a is a great fault with leaders when someone comes to you and is accountable to you only for you to manipulate and use that information to hurt or to you know sometimes we pastors call it that we are we are ministering you know it it, it happened to me once whereby it got to a point whereby the Holy Spirit had to scold me. I actually used, you know, I, I say a lot of stories when I minister. So I use personal experiences of people. And the reason why I actually do it is because I like to create a reality with my message so that everybody, jo- not just with the word of God, we can come to understand. But this story was a bit deep. And then I didn't mention names. And obviously nobody was going to hear the message or nobody was going to know the person I was talking about. But the truth of the matter is that the person picked one of my messages on Telegram, listened to it listen to our story and so he hurt her that you know the way i now explain the story to show the reality of our action made it a terrible situation and i i made a i made a very strong conviction that before i use any story it must just be very very plain and it's not something that by the time i'm explaining and saying i'm preaching mystery and hurting someone so <laughs> it's it's very very important for ministers as as many as who have ministry to be very careful now that's number one number two for the person that is confiding in someone you must before you choose someone you must look out for track record you just don't choose someone because of a great name and that is why many people will come to me and say i want you oh somebody was asking a question unfortunately i couldn't pick the question i don't know if you are going to yes, ask the question, question. okay yes. so i don't know if oh, sorry i was saying something yes people will come to me and say they want mentorship and and also I try, especially people that I don't have relationship with, I don't know from anywhere, they probably saw me somewhere ministering in somebody else's church. And then you leave your local pastor to see me that I just probably came from Abuja to Lagos and you want me to be your mentor. I, I really don't push everybody back. But the truth of the matter is sometimes I'm very delicate with people like that. And I think that many of us need to also learn that, that we don't just choose people by the first day you met him or somebody said something about him settle down check his track record monitor him let the holy spirit lead you to him so when you have seen because some people are even being mentored by somebody who's not going where they are going so when you have seen who exactly he is you have known him that and the holy spirit is leading you and that's why everybody that comes to me and says mentor me the first thing i say to you is the god send you to me let me also go and ask God that you said sent you. Is this part of the people you said I would be accountable for? Because the truth of the matter is that spiritual mentorship is not like the world's mentorship. Spiritual mentorship, you want to gain from me, so I don't care how much I give to you. But mm. spiritual mentorship, you just don't want to gain from me. I am intentional about what you become because I know that God will hold me accountable for you. And anything that affects me, affects you, especially if I'm a shepherd over you. What the Bible says is like like shepherd, like sheep. So some things that will happen to me will narrow down into your life. So I need to be careful. See what Paul said to Timothy. He said, be careful of anybody you lay your hands upon. 
because you can even become a partaker of their sin. So I'm not just going to have you in my life and you'll be calling me daughter. You'll be shouting papa everywhere. Papa, papa, daddy. And you are doing nonsense. And I don't know because I'm not praying over your life and God is looking at me and saying you are not accountable for somebody I sent to you. So I like to keep my circle of mentorship as small as possible. I don't need plenty papa in my life at this moment. The the day I knew that I was not right for mentorship, sir, was the day... Not like I'm not right, but I'm not right for a particular level of mentorship. Was the day a spiritual child in court came and asked for school fees? Ah, and I said, I'm, I'm saving for marriage. <laughs> I can't pay after I <laughs> So I was like, ah, you know what? I'll see what I can do. But for spiritual mentorship, I need to do it. I need to fix everything about you. I need to, because the truth of the matter is that, let me tell you, the reality of it is that the lady needed it and I had to go and look for it. Not yeah. everything. Because if you if I don't give her, I know where she was coming from. This is somebody that there is no father, there is no mother. Everything that she needs to do, she's spending for it and she's a teen. How is she getting it? You can just imagine. So if somebody has come to be accountable to you, and then I know where she's coming from. And the moment I say no to that request, I know who she's going to call. She's going to call a man. She's going to do so many things because she doesn't want to leave school. So because of that, mentorship is not just, um, God bless you, my spiritual daughter, go and cook rice for me. Mentorship is so much of accountability <laughs> and it's so much of we are together to make sure that we become all that God wants us to be. So it's deep. So if anybody is your mentor and you give him a story and he manipulates you for the story, trust me, that person is a stranger to your life. Cut off that relationship. Is either he himself needs mentorship is not ripe enough or you are with a wrong father. Your father covers the multitude of your sin. On the day you sin and you return, what your father does is that he says that my son was dead and is alive. He creates a party that you have come. Your father celebrates you. Your father makes sure that you are covered. That is what fatherhood is all about. Fatherhood is covering. So I'm not going to see my child failing and I'm going to preach a sermon about him. I'm going to cover him and ensure that he has wings to fly. (laughs) Fathers create fathers, not sons not daughters we create people who can mature and become greater than we are listen to daddy joe all the time i want my children to be greater than me that's always the testimony of fathers not he has failed oh see it's a failure i know i should be walking up and down and we see people make more of those kind of things and it's immaturity if somebody is accountable to you protect the person ensure that the person becomes ensure that everywhere the person is failing make sure they grow one of the things that i always tell people that god has helped me is there's nothing anybody can tell me that is the biggest sin i don't i i, I always wonder why god put such a heart in me when somebody is saying something i'm like okay oh, is that all you have done i just make reference to something greater than that i say i've even done it where can we start because i believe that god is always standing at the door waiting for everybody to start afresh with him and then the journey is like nothing has ever happened if god if jesus christ will not make reference to the mistake of peter not once not twice he betrayed him three times the only thing jesus christ said is that do you love me more than this i commissioned him for a new assignment if jesus will not make reference to a sin and says the days of your ignorance i wink at and he forgives us completely why is it that us that we are men that even the mentor is saying you know is now telling somebody who just made a mistake that probably is less than his own sin that is what's up so i think but, such a person but, should but, 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 value the relationship this is, this is our son because 
this world generally. I need to ask you. Yes, sir. I'm very yes, concerned. I don't even understand. Okay. I don't know your ministry. Whether you're a pastor, <laughs> a prophet, a teacher, a, I don't know. Because, you know, okay. I, I, I do some of I operate in the evangelistic once in a while. And then when we go out to, to preach in Crusade and all of those things, people will come at me after we have prayed for people, come and meet you to, to counsel them. I used to feel that, that kind of situation. And then I, I always refuse to counsel people after the demonstration. It's an instruction from God. I always refer them to their past. I've made a mistake one day to counsel somebody, even after I knew I was not supposed to. I, I eventually found out that that person was a rebellious person that has been that has been rebuked by the pastor, refused correction. Mm. He's not looking for somebody else to mentor him, and then you use that person as a leverage to continue to, to remain in sin. He may have just called the pastor and told him, this person called me and said, and he miscounseled Do you know him? Pastor said, Shagun. He said, don't give Shagun that time just to pregnant yeah. somebody in church and he, he refused to go through the discipline and all of those things. Yet he was kneeling down, buying that I should cancel him. God has sent me to him. <laughs> you know, so there's there's a need for us to follow the scripts that God has given to us at time. And everyone that's listening to us, I'm sure I don't know whether one hour will ever be a loss. It's only God that knows. <laughs> but today I know we are going to take more than one hour, definitely. Because the subject of temptation is a big issue. It's not shared noise. It's not your problem. <laughs> it's not You're calling your brother's name. It's not the one who... All right. So, now, you mentioned that temptations can try in a loneliness yes. and being secluded. What is the difference between loneliness and being alone? Well, in, you know, the I'm trying to bring the two together. Someone who is alone is someone that does not have help. That's someone who is alone. Someone who is lonely, we begin to talk about emotional loneliness. But two of them, at the end of the day, can lead to temptation. Either loneliness or being alone. The only difference is that I can be alone and I might not be lonely. Meaning that there might be absence of people, physical people, and yet I am not lonely. I'm not, you know, I don't feel the absence of people. Someone who is alone and lonely is that there is an absence of people and I can feel the impact. The important thing in both of them is that even we must ensure that we have help. So a man who is alone has nobody. Loneliness, as I said, is emotional. Is is just because you can have people around you and you are still lonely. You still feel as if you are alone. So that state of being alone is being lonely. So the the idea is to ensure that you have help, and this is something that I need to stress. As much as we can get help from our partners, you know, somebody who is on your level, it might not always be the best help. That, that's, you know, because that's another error that we make. We must never forget the error.